If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out GuardianVets.com now. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. We're going to hit our sponsors here in just a second, then jump into the episode. But before we do, make sure you stick around throughout the end of the interview and check out the show notes for great opportunities for associateships, partnerships, and more. If you're a practice owner, you want to find great people, and you want to list a job opportunity or just looking for certain things that your peers out there that are veterinarians could benefit from, feel free to shoot me an email. Isaiah at veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. I will do my best to get those up at the end of different episodes. There's no charge for that. My role, my job is to connect good people with good people. So with that, we will hit our sponsors and be right into the interview. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Why do most banks always seem to be impersonal, slow to answer questions, or give you the runaround on getting money needed for your dreams? Enter Panacea Financial. Panacea Financial, a nationwide digital bank built for doctors by doctors. Whether you're a veterinarian in training, practice owner, or aspire to be one someday, Panacea Financial is designed specifically for you. It was started by two doctors who were frustrated in working with banks and so started their own to serve their community. With common sense lending guidelines and fast decisioning, they have helped doctors all across the country start, grow, and acquire their dream practice. Looking to buy into a practice, Panacea helps doctors with practice buy-in loans that are funded in a matter of days, not weeks or months. If you're ready to join the thousands of doctors nationwide who have declared independence from traditional banks, visit PanaceaFinancial.com today to see how they can get you started with your dreams. Panacea Financial is a division of Premise, member FDIC. Have you ever walked into a space and thought, wow, this is beautiful? There's a reason for that. Architecture has this innate ability to impact emotions and perceptions. My friends at Apex Design Build bring beautiful and functional spaces for veterinarians nationwide. Apex is a fourth generation family run company that is fully integrated from the design, architecture, and construction process. They help you mitigate risks, eliminate surprises, save money, save time, and reduce the effort on your project. Check out their amazing work and have access to their square footage calculator to help you plan your expansion or new build. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer and learn more about Apex Design Build. All right. Today, I am joined by Dr. Tyler Sugarman McGiffin. Tyler is a uh, emergency veterinarian in the Pacific Northwest. He's also extremely passionate about veterinary education, which we're going to chat through quite a bit today. Also a podcaster, which is exciting. And I've gotten to know Tyler over the past year plus. Happy to have him on the show. Tyler, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Isaiah. I appreciate it. Other than embarrassing myself within the first 20 <laughs> seconds. So one of the big things, because I don't know if a lot of listeners will know who you are, 
Give me the story of veterinary medicine for you. Like, was it always from day one? This was the career choice. This is where you wanted to go with things. Did you develop it over time? I guess kind of lay the groundwork for who you are and where you're at today. Yeah. So I always had passion for animals. Even when I was little, my mom would find just random animals that I was saving in my room, random lizard that lost his tail that I didn't know that was normal, or a chicken from my work one time that I just had in my room. I've just always had a passion for like helping animals. And it didn't actually start out that I was going to be a veterinarian. I kind of went on the route of just becoming a veterinary technician. And I don't mean just by like, veterinary technicians are amazing. They do so many amazing things. But that wasn't my initial goal. It was just kind of to be just a veterinary technician, not going further in education. I just didn't think that I'd be able to just financially. So I was a veterinary technician from about 13 years old until 28, 29, something like that. Did lots of different things as a veterinary technician. I worked at the zoo and I did emergency and general practice. And I worked with seals and sea lions and so many cool things that you could do. And then I just realized that I just wanted to learn more. I just always wanted to know more about every case. And so that's when I kind of decided that maybe I could actually fund going to veterinary school and ended up doing it. So I've been a veterinarian for, let's see, since 2015 is when I graduated. I did a year internship at an emergency critical care practice and had an amazing experience there. And then I've been at my clinic here in Sumner ever since. So ER medicine takes a special type of person. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> why? <laughs> it's a special type of person to thrive in it, right? Like yeah. some people can be there, but they're like, this is a very short stint. Right. You've done it. I can quote this, right? The closer to death, the better. And like you thrive on that. And for you, like that is where you want to be until your body kind of fails. Why? Like, why is that such a big draw? Because that wasn't naturally, you know, when you were a tech, as you were just talking about, that wasn't what you saw like early right. on. So. Right. Absolutely. Even when I had gotten into vet school, I kind of decided I was going to do general practice, not emergency medicine. It wasn't until my third year when I did an emergency medicine rotation that I was like, this is amazing. I just like being able to quickly fix something, to quickly help people understand like what's going on with their pet, quickly diagnose something. And also, I mean, unfortunately, like a big part of my job is doing a lot of euthanasias. We do, I do like at least 10 of them a day. And even then, it's just knowing that I'm helping the pet in a very quick manner, not something that I love internal medicine. They do, um, again, amazing things, but that's just not for me. I don't like to have things drawn out. I like bringing things back from death. So like you said, you know, the closer to death, the better for me. I don't know if it's the adrenaline rush or what it is, but I definitely prefer veterinary, uh, sorry, emergency medicine kind of over any other type of medicine. Well, and I would, yeah, like you said, it's adrenaline, but it also, you don't necessarily know what's going to walk through the door. It's not like, I kind of know what my day is going to look like. You don't know when you show up and you're nights. Correct. Um, right. So yeah, I, mean, you I work get overnights. Even better from, oh, from yeah. that standpoint. Yeah, exactly. And then, like I said, I don't know what my day is going to be like. I don't know if there's only going to be 12 things that walk through the door, or if there's going to be 50 things that walk through the door and how critical they're going to be. And I do prefer that I don't like the monotony of one thing that I've seen over and over and over again. Is there a case or an experience that sticks out that you're like, this might be one of the, the more wild things I've ever seen? Yeah, I actually had this dog that was stabbed in the neck. So he had, it was the sheriff that came rushing down from the mountain because this lady lived like two hours away. And so 
her husband apparently just went crazy and was and stabbed, hit the dog and all the other and killed all the other animals in the house. And the sheriff just wrapped the dog's neck in a pad and like some ace bandage and like rushed the dog down. I think they got there in like 35 minutes or something. It went all the way down to the jugular. So this dog was like gushing blood and uh, they brought him in and I, I didn't have owner's consent. I didn't have anything. I was just like, we're just fixing this dog. I don't care. We're just going to fix him. So we did. He lived. Um, he did great. And he even went home like the next day. I didn't even have to do a blood transfusion on him, which was amazing. Yeah, this dog was, this dog was lucky. And it was just so nice to see um, they had, the owner had a young daughter and that was literally the only thing that she had left was this dog. I was like, what would have happened if we hadn't saved this dog? You know, if I had just been like, well, I got to wait till I talk to the owner, you know, but that was, that's definitely one that sticks out on my mind a lot. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. What do you think is most misunderstood from, I guess, kind of your GP friends and colleagues out there that have never worked ER medicine? Is there anything that you would highlight that you feel like doesn't get enough discussion? Um, you know, I see a lot of talk on like the ER boards and just like on the vet boards and stuff about how we just want to like toss it back to the general practice. We're like, well, we're just going to like fix this temporarily and just like kind of toss it back to them without doing a lot of workup. And I do think that is one thing that we actually do try to do as much workup as possible. But if I think that this is something that could wait and they could do it with their regular practitioner for cheaper, then I'm going to talk to them about doing that because that's the person that's going to follow up on it. That's the testing that they're going to want to do, whereas I might do different testing. You know, so if it's anything that I can give it back to the general practitioner, I would prefer to do that so that they will keep that client. Absolutely. Makes total sense to me. And it's interesting that you highlighted the dog and the juggler in that story with the sheriff, because you've done some work with canine units in education mm -hmm. and training. Yeah. You want to share a little bit about that? Yeah. I've always kind of worked with sheriff's dogs actually even as a technician i've worked with a lot of sheriff's dogs we have sheriff's dogs that come into our practice now and i did help out one of the sheriffs locally that wanted to learn how to do like just basic cpr basic first aid on their dogs until they're able to get somewhere else because some of these are really rural and there's nobody that can help them until they can get back to someplace, some other clinic. And even then, it might be a tiny clinic that doesn't even have capability of doing whatever it is that they need. <clears throat> it was just going through with them, like some of the basic first aid stuff that they can do, basic CPR stuff that they can do until they can get to a facility that can help them. Yeah. And then you've done some education within your hospital. And I think it's interesting when you think about like just education seems to be like one of the passions and things that you enjoy. Mm -hmm. So like, obviously the medical side, the clinical side of being in the moment, working all that up, but then also helping others come along and learn. And maybe it's a little bit because of kind of your journey from going through, you know, being a tech, learning, mm -hmm. asking, 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 and then growing and be like, how can I help support the Tyler that's 15 or 20 years behind right. you, right? <laughs> to encourage in the same way. But can you talk a little bit about some of the, the work that you've done there and why do you think teaching for you is such an important aspect of who you are? Yeah. Yeah. I do a lot of educational stuff like through my work and also outside of my work as well. In my work, one of the things I do is I do a podcast for them. So they like give me topics that they want to learn about. And then I just do my research on them. And then I present it to them in a way that's easier for them to understand rather than all of the huge, big 
medical jargon. It's not just the technicians, it's also the receptionists and the kennel assistants and the trainers that are there that all want to know about these things. So I'll do a podcast for them once a week that they put out or that I put out and um, just kind of go over a lot of those things. And then I also go into work once or twice a month, just depending on my schedule. And I physically do hands-on training with them. So somebody who doesn't know how to draw blood, when we need an animal that needs blood drawn, I take them over and we like go through the motions of like, how do you draw blood? Why are we doing this? What are the places you can do it? Doing uh, cystos, so getting urine, going over with them, like what are the risks of this? You know, Because people always think this is such a benign thing just to get urine from a dog, but it's not. It actually could kill them. So we always go over like, what are the risks of this and how do you do it? And what are some tricks and tips in order to be able to get this better or make it easier for you? Even just going over like triage, like how do you triage? What are some of the clinical signs you should be looking for for certain diseases? Things like that. But it's nice having like that hands-on as well so that when they have questions, I can like immediately answer them. Or also I've had questions that I didn't even think about. Even in my podcast, I go over like, these are the questions that i commonly get from people and talk about those questions. But there's also the ones that I'm like, oh, I wouldn't even have thought that somebody would ask that. But yeah, I totally see why you would think that. And then I also do CPR as well. So I do a CPR course, usually like once every other month to just go over the basics of CPR, what everybody's rules are, how successful it is, things like that. With training, so you're going in twice a month. Like, do you record this? Is it document anywhere? Or is it kind of like just with that specific individual? Because I think one challenge within veterinary medicine is how do you retain good training practices? Because if Isaiah trains Tyler and then Tyler trains Jane and then Jane trains Bill, like there's going to be a variation eventually down the line versus if, you know, Isaiah trains everyone or if Tyler trains everyone, but your time is scarce and limited and you can't be there all the time. So like, how do you document that? And what are the systems in place? Have you done anything like that? Have you thought about it? Because I think that's a big concern for practice owners, but also just, you know, anyone within any practice, whether it's private or corporate. Yeah, actually my clinic has already set that up, which is fantastic. Like after I started doing a lot of this training and people like really enjoyed training and learning how to do things, they actually set up an assistant training program. So it just goes over like every day, what you're expected to do, what you're expected to learn and whether you've mastered that technique or not. So right now it's still in the beginning stages of it. So it's still just like the onboarding portion of it, you know, like meeting with HR, learning the computer systems, watching when somebody goes in to like triage something or going over estimates, things like that, collecting deposits. So but each day it's broken down so that at least in that first two weeks, we know what everybody has already done. Like they should have already accomplished these set things. After that, it becomes a little bit more complicated because things like drawing blood, like you're not going to master it just the first time you draw blood. So really it comes down to like checking off every single time you've done it until you've met this criteria of, I think it's like 10 times that they get checked off, something like that. Same thing with like your analysis, we're doing cystos, just marking it off and having somebody who's there to supervise. As you were mentioning, it's hard when one person trains another person, trains another person, right? So they do get training from multiple people, which I think is good and bad. One is I might have very different techniques from somebody else. So my tips and tricks might be different than somebody else's tips and tricks. So I do think that that part is helpful. So that way they just get a better understanding on how to do things like cystos. But at the same time, I don't know, like if I go down and mark down number 10, yes, you did it. I don't know that you've actually been proficient at it. I don't know that you've gotten urine the other nine times. 
So I think like just trying to make notes is the best thing that we can do for that. As far as my personal education stuff, I usually just write down, like I email my boss and just let them know, like, this is what we went over. This is what we did so that they kind of have an understanding of like, okay, now this person can go on and start learning some new technique or they can jump in on CPRs, which I always tell everybody to do. I'm like, everybody, I don't care what you're doing. Stop what you're doing. Jump in on CPR. You're not going to hurt the pet. So. So the podcast is for the practice. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about the podcast. What was the origin story there and how many episodes, kind of what topics have you done and what have you learned as you've gone through it? Yeah. So I do two podcasts. The one is for the technicians. That's what I actually started with, but that's not what the original idea was. So the original idea was to do it for the owners, like just the pet parents, but I needed a way to practice that as well. And then it kind of came across one day when they were having a technician meeting and they were asking like, what do you do to just kind of wind down from the day? And 90% of the people said that they listened to a podcast. I'd say 90% of that 90%, they listened to some sort of like murder podcast, but they all listen to podcasts, right? Then I was like, well, if everybody's listening to podcasts, like if you're already doing that, is this a good way to get information out to people? So then I just took a poll from everybody and asked like, if I did a podcast, would you listen to it? Like, is that a good way to get all this information out? So otherwise I was writing all of these emails and doing all these protocols and, and I just didn't feel like people were reading them or it wasn't really like getting across very well. So people said, yeah, we would listen to a podcast. Then I started doing this podcast for the technicians. My very first one was for blocked cats because that is my favorite thing is blocked cats. So I've done like that and I've done, oh, how many? There's been like, so I'd say I've done 30 episodes now. I've done like what you can look for on blood work because the technicians always want to know when they look at this blood work, they're like, I don't know what any of this means. What does this mean? So I've kind of gone through like what blood work means and I've done vaccine reactions, why we use vaccines. I've done collapsing tracheas, heart problems. That one was probably the hardest one. I felt really bad after I did it. So I had to do a repeat of just like the one we normally see. I was like, I know there's a ton of information, guys. I'm real sorry, but <laughs> there's so much to heart failure. So yeah, so I've done like those kind of topics. And then I've also done interviews with some of the technicians as well. So some of our LVTs, I've sat down with them and asked them like what their experiences were becoming an LVT, the experiences at the school that they went to or not. We have one person who she was able to grandfather in prior to that going away. So we talked about that because that potentially is something that could be coming back to Washington. And then also just talking to them about like what their job is, what their role is so that other people understand what they do as well. Because the receptionists are in the front and they may not know like what the technician is, who's in the back, who's taking care of the hospitalized patients does. So just trying to like get everybody's perspective on those things so that everybody kind of understands everybody else's job better. And you can see obviously who downloads it as yes. well. And I know yeah. you're not going to be Joe Rogan when it's an internal right? podcast, right? <laughs> exactly. So you have to like temper expectations <laughs> on the amount of listens, but have you had the feedback that you thought you would have with people listening and, and people gaining information from it? Yes and no. I think that there's not as many people listening as I was hoping that it would be. But at the same time, the people who have been listening, you can tell that they've gotten a lot of information out of it. Like I wasn't sure if they would enjoy it or if I was presenting it in the right way, in the right manner. But the people who 
have talked to me about it. Like it's amazing to hear like how much information that they got out of it and how much they did retain from it. Do you know Spotify internally has podcasts for training as well? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. So they have some culture stuff. And like when you onboard at Spotify, because of the way that they're set up, right? Like they have like a podcast, almost like a, a welcome package. That's like these episodes that are only internal that you get released and you can listen to it. So you like build and understand culture. And I've always thought that's really interesting because when you have an organization that big, a little different than a hospital, right? Yeah. There's not gonna be that many individuals, but in a big organization like that, that's really smart, especially when people right. are gonna be across the globe. Like how do you kind of foster that? So it's interesting to see how it can work on a big scale, but also right. on a more smaller or micro scale as well. But yeah, that's so, really cool because I feel like they can at least get, like you were saying, that same person is essentially training everybody else in that mm -hmm. way. It's consistent. And mm -hmm. so everyone is at least going to hear the same message. And the goal being, right, like hopefully they're kind of marching to the same beat. So right. we all <laughs> feel like we're a little bit in alignment. You know, that's the law of large numbers is you get more people, like you're going to get some inefficiencies. And so I think right. they're trying to do that. Now, how successful it is, I don't know. But I remember listening to a podcast with the, the CEO of Spotify and him talking about that. I was like, that's fascinating. Leveraging stuff that they are doing as their product, like what they're offering to the consumer, their client base, customer base, yeah. and just using it for their own team as well. If you can improve the health of an animal, you do it, right? Of course. That's what makes veterinarians special. You're mission driven. My friends at LifeLearn are the exact same way. For over 25 years, they've been partnering with you and your peers, providing affordable, customizable online software solutions. These solutions save time, increase efficiency, and assist in managing all aspects of operations. Why? They want to help you improve your partnership with pet owners to improve pet health. LifeLearn has award-winning digital media solutions and are leading the pack as they've prioritized having extensive veterinary knowledge throughout their teams. That difference is seen, it's heard, and it's read by thousands of people across the country. Relax, grow, and thrive with LifeLearn. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer to see how LifeLearn can allow you to get back to what you do best. So the other podcast, let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so my other podcast is for the pet owners, so for pet parents, and it is just like free information for them, basically. It's just giving them information so that they understand what's going on with their pet. Like one of my huge limitations is as an emergency vet, I have like two or three minutes to give them the information that they need. And that's not a lot of time, nor are they going to retain what I just said. So the easiest way, like I found myself thinking that how could I just get all four blocked cat owners into one room and just talk to them all at the same time so I'm not repeating myself four times, right? Because then I can't remember, did I tell you about the diet or did I tell you about the hospitalization? And by the time they call me back and then they're asking me questions, I'm like, did we just talk about this? Maybe I didn't talk about it. Right. So this was kind of a way to do that. Like I could literally talk to all four people at the same time. So what I usually do is like on my blocked cats, when I have them come back, we feel it. I know it's blocked. The technician know, let them know that the cat is blocked. Here is the podcast for them to listen to so that by the time I get to them, they've already listened to the 30 minutes about it. And then I just can ask them, do you have any questions? Let's talk about hospitalization. It has definitely streamlined a lot of things for me, like blocked cats and parvo is a big one as well. Because if you know, the parvo test comes up positive, we can just hand them the card and say, go listen to this podcast. And then again, by the time I get to them, they 
can have already made a decision and already had like this conversation with their family as to like what is the best route for them to hospitalize or to do outpatient or to unfortunately euthanize them. But they already have that information by the time I talk to them. So it just like cut out 30 minutes each time I'm having to talk to somebody so that it just streamlined things a lot easier. And I gave everybody the same information. Yep. Again, going back to being consistent in, in the education piece, it saves you time, right. makes life easier for them. It's not as intimidating because you're not there kind of talking through it and you can address all those questions. And also one day you might be like, Hey, I'm really gung ho. I'm on top of the world. The next day you're like, I am exhausted. And this yeah. is, you know, day six. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like we're, I'm going to shorten this to 15 minutes versus my normal 30. And it's like, right. oh shoot, you know, I missed a, a portion that could have helped them. So yeah. you can yeah, just be exactly. better at your job. Like to me, it makes all the sense in the world. I don't know if you listened to the episode I did with Michael Shirley, but him and his brother for the practice they have in Murfreesboro, they have a podcast too. And it's directed to pet parents the same way where they're trying to just educate and inform. And at the end of the day, it's like, how many people are going to listen to that? I don't know. You're not going for, you know, record listenership or different things. It's like, there's gonna be people that will appreciate that and will find you because of it. And also you might be able to help someone that is a States away that will never, ever Mm -hmm. come to you, see you, but can still benefit from that. If right, they find exactly. it, which is kind of cool as well. Like, how do you make a bigger impact outside of the hands that you can have on an animal? And that's definitely yeah. one way to do it, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And one of the big things too, is like, especially with blocked cats, like people, I don't think they understand like how important the diet is. And so that kind of like reiterates things versus I have a lot of cats who come back because somebody didn't tell them, even from our own hospital, somebody didn't say, you have to be on this diet and this diet only. So they didn't really know. And I'm sure they just like didn't even think about it because they already dealt with three other blocked cats before, you know, so I feel like that just really helps to get that information to everybody. Is there anything on ER medicine or the podcast that maybe I haven't asked about yet that's you think is important or interesting that you've learned? You know, at the podcast, I had to learn a lot about technology that I did <laughs> not expect to have to learn so much about it. That was definitely a hard thing to do. But I think it did help starting out with my technician podcast first. So that way, like I wasn't like tripping over my words so much. And I kind of like understood the flow of it a lot better. And just thinking of it as like just talking to the client, not just like reading from a script type thing. Yes. That was a big learning point right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, for anyone that's listening to this, or if you watch it on YouTube, it's like you, the setup looks like you're a pro, right? It looks right. like uh, <laughs> you have this setup, you're, you're golden, right? So it's good. What's the biggest thing that you've learned either about yourself or about just veterinary medicine, being an ER vet for the amount of time that you have? Is there anything that you've kind of learned? Yeah. My biggest thing is my motto who I got from my critical list was dead or better. Meaning like I can either do something to help this pet or they're going to die. Either way, if I don't do anything, they're going to die. Or if I do something, they might potentially die. And a lot of people get really nervous about those kind of things. So I do a lot of mentorship for the new veterinarians as well. Like I've mentored two people. I already have two more people coming on this year. And they know they can call me literally at any time of the day or night. Mostly it's night because they're usually night shift people. But one of my doctors there, she had called me in the middle of the night because she had just a really scary surgery and she didn't know what to do. Um, Ended up being a diaphragmatic hernia. She'd never done one before. And she's like, what do I do? I was like, well, you can call the owner and transfer, or if they don't want to transfer, if you're going to euthanize the pet, then why don't you just do the surgery? Like if you could potentially help that pet, even though you don't know how to do it, I would say do that because either you're going to help it or it's going to die. So she called the owners. They said that they wouldn't transfer. 
it was either this surgery or no surgery. So she's like, okay, I will try, but it may not make it. And um, she did great. The dog lived and I went home the next day. I gave her just some tips on like how to help with the diaphragmatic hernia and taking the air out and stuff. And everything went well. So I think that's the biggest thing because people just get so scared about it sometimes. They get very nervous and they don't know what to do. You panic a lot. So it's really just remembering either you're going to help them or you're just going to die. In those life and death kind of situations, is just seeing the amount of unfortunate, like there's nothing you can do and there's just a lot of death that's around you. I mean, have you, because it seems like you could just talk about it so casually, right? And I know for a lot of your peers, it weighs on them so much. I mean, is there something that there was a point in time where it it was heavier for you or did you learn to be better about dealing with it and understand that you are there as a benefit to so many pets that are going to come through and it's not always going to work out, but has that changed or has it always been kind of the same mentality for you? I think also because of the fact that I've been doing this for so long since I've been in the vet practice and within since I was 13, like I've seen a lot of it. So I think that that, I don't want to say hardened me to it, but it definitely like made me just understand it better. Mm-hmm. There are definitely periods of time where it's going to weigh on me, you know, especially when it's something that like I feel like could be helped, like those really young blocked cats. But it's just also understanding that this is also a lifelong thing. It's not just this one time he's going to be blocked. He's most likely going to block again at some point, especially if they can't afford to hospitalize them, they're probably not going to be able to afford to do the diet for the rest of their lives. So like those kind of things do weigh on you. But at the same time, it's also to me knowing that I'm helping them, that I know that they are not going to suffer by putting them to sleep and that I'm doing it humanely. I'm making sure that they are, I always sedate them beforehand so that they do not know what's happening. So to me, that's just a better way for me to cope with it. It's just knowing that in a sense, I'm still helping them. Yeah, I love that. And then on the mentorship side, is that all within the company or is it outside or how's the mentorship set up? And then is it something that's required? Do they opt in? Because I hear I want mentorship or I'm here to mentor. And then it's like, well, they don't really show up. They're not ready or they're too busy. And like, there's always this like conflict between either side where the other one's always like, oh, they're not doing a good job. Now there are some really good mentor mentee relationships, but it seems like yeah. a lot of times they just don't seem to work as well as what everyone wants them to be. And I think everyone goes into it with the right, like they want a good result, but it just doesn't seem to happen. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts and what you've seen be successful or not be as successful. And I've definitely heard a lot of horror stories of people who say that they were going into a mentorship and then that person just never showed up. They were never there for them. They couldn't contact them. It was just a terrible situation. But for me, we always have third, mostly fourth years, some third years that come through our clinic from Washington State. And so literally as soon as I see them, I'm like, hey, if you want to do emergency medicine, come to overnights with me. I will I love to teach. I will teach you, right? But most of the people that I've met through doing the mentorship have come through Washington State and have been there as a student before. So they kind of already know what to expect when they're with me. And I tell them, like, I asked a lot of questions, so they need to be prepared. They don't have to have the right answer. They just need to be prepared that I'm going to ask them a lot of questions. I'm going to make them think about things. So a lot of them come in their fourth year. They're there with me for about two weeks two to four weeks, but just kind of based on my schedule, they're usually with me for about two weeks. And well, the first one that I did with Dr. Van Maren, she came in as a fourth year. I thought she was amazing and she loved working with me. So I said I would mentor her if they were okay with that. And that was kind of like the start of our mentorship at that point. So I mentored her for like eight months. She's an amazing doctor. She does great job now. So she's moved on. She's one of our ER doctors, overnight ER doctors. 
One of the other ones was somebody who was already there as a general practitioner. He decided to move over to ER. So I didn't get as much time with him, unfortunately, because we had a lot of switching of shifts and stuff, but still, like I did my mentorship with him. And then we have two other people who are coming from Washington State. The one that I know, she, again, was with me for like, she ended up being with me for like almost four weeks. And we got to know each other. She did a great job. So she decided to come on and she's going to be doing her mentorship exclusively with me starting in July for another eight months. And then there was another one who I've never met her before, but came from Washington State, heard really good things about us, and then is going to be coming to do her mentorship. She wants to do pretty much ER, but I'm not sure like how she wants to do the mentorship. So it's really interesting because you have one person who there, she has everything like written down exactly how she wants it, like a schedule and everything exactly how. And then the other person who I've never met is just kind of like, well, I'll learn things and then we'll go from there. So it's very interesting to see how different some of these people come in and how they want things structured or really don't want it structured at all. But because of the fact that we are a teaching hospital, I do think that that helps because people know that we are at least open to teaching and Mm -hmm. being a pretty good mentor. What do you prefer, more structure or less structure in the mentorship to put you on the spot? I feel like less structure because of the fact that I don't know what's going to walk through the door. If somebody's like, well, I didn't want to know how to do a bloat surgery by month two. Well, if I haven't seen a bloat in two months, then there's nothing I can do about that. But I do like a very mild structure to mine. It's like I usually do it where they take just outpatient stuff first and then we go through like their record keeping and their exams and the diagnosis and all of the diagnostics and things. And then eventually they're taking more and more and more until they get to the point of they're taking the hospitalized patients and then they take all the hospitalized patients. And then by the end of their mentorship, they're taking literally everything. And I'm just standing back and guiding them through things. So that way, I know that they're prepared by the time they get to when they're on their own. Makes sense. Cool. And then from a communication standpoint, is it just like, hey, here's my number, call me, text me? Yep. I mean, is there any? It, okay. Exactly. Anytime, day or night, it's not just them. I definitely get a lot of my other doctors who call and text, have questions. I may not be free or awake but I will answer the phone. Yeah. yeah. I'll get to it when I get to it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I will try to be as responsive as possible. Love that. Right. <laughs> you mentioned earlier, you love to ask questions and you've listened to the show. So is there any question or questions that you want to ask me? And this can be related to our conversation or can we can take it off on a whole new tangent if you want. Gosh, it's hard because I know you and talk to you. So yeah. I'd say, you know what I think has been interesting has been just like our financial relationship and how I hear a lot of a lot of the other podcasts, a lot of the other people you talk to think talking about like saving money and owning businesses and stuff like that. And it was nice when we talked about like the fact that I want to save money at the same time. I want to enjoy what my life is right now because I kind of already know what my future is going to be like. I know that my wife is probably going to have memory issues later. And so just like Hearing you talking about the fact that it's okay to spend that money now and then to enjoy the life that I have right now has been really good for me. And I was wondering if you had other people who kind of venture down that same road as well. I can think of another different but similar style of conversation with someone that was having at a younger age vision loss, right? And so for them at that point had no kids wanted to have kids, wanted to see certain things or go do certain things. And so it was 
the priorities are going to be a little bit switched. And I think, you know, there's always like, okay, there's kind of a method to the madness. You think about, okay, big picture, you kind of want to get these different pieces together. But then there's also like, well, this is what real life looks like today. Mm-hmm. And right. we can shift those things around. And there's going to be trade-offs, right? There's going to be things where right. it's not all going to be, well, like, I feel like some people will say like, oh, you can just do it all. And it's like, sure, some can, but for most people, there's going to be some sort of limitation because right. t- I don't think you do. And I don't have the magic money tree out back that you just go and right. shake whenever you I just need looking. more. <laughs> I have a lot of trees back here, yeah, but and, none of them are yeah, producing. I, it's like, yeah. I don't know if Washington has them different than Indiana, <laughs> right? But I have a lot of walnuts that I don't have a lot of money that falls down. So it, it takes me a lot more time to clean up walnuts, but those are dollar bills. I wouldn't be quite as frustrated, right? Right, but, exactly. With that, though, it's like, okay, what's the decisions that we want to do or how do we want to prioritize this? And like, there are certain things where it can be like, all right, well, maybe we want to spend more now. So we're going to save at a different rate or we're going to work longer or we're going to adjust lifestyle where maybe you could be like, hey, our lifestyle could be different based on our earnings today, but we can't do that and still do the other things we want to do. And yeah, I think that's where the like kind of personal side of personal finance comes into play. And you want to have those conversations. And ultimately, and you've heard me say this and lots of other people have too, ultimately with any sort of like client relationship, it's their money. It's your money. It's someone else's money. And the goal is not to be like, well, this is what Isaiah or Vincere or this financial advisory firm would do. It's what does the client want to do? And then give them some options and say, hey, based on what we've talked about and getting to know you as like a human, this is probably what we should do. And here's option A. This is what I think you should do. This is what I would suggest, but here's some other alternatives. And if you like that, great, let's work towards that. I think as long as there's at least a vision for what you're trying to solve for, I think the hardest thing is if it's constantly in flux and constantly in motion where it's like wild swings. And I've talked to people like that where it's each time I talk to them, there's something brand new that's out there and it's like, cool, all right, let's talk about that. And then it's like, nope, that's not it. Now it's this thing. It's like, (laughs) okay, well, all right, great. Okay, now it's this thing. It's like, all right, well, eventually, I think at that point, it's trying to go back to what do you value? And I think you and your family have a good foundational thought on like, this is what we value. This is what's most important. And then as long as that's kind of like the center, then the other decisions kind of can take care of themselves. Yeah. It's just such a nice thing to hear, especially just because most of the financial podcasts are all about like, don't spend any money, save everything, use it later when you are retired. And, you know, just the thought of like, that's probably not going to be in the cards for my wife is kind of a nice thing to like just hear other people's thoughts about that as well. Yeah. Well, and I think I've always had a little bit of a gripe with the FIRE community, which I think is right in line with where a lot of people will listen to. And I've had conversations with folks that it was like, well, I want to save 50% of my income. Like, A, that's great. Like there's never a problem of wanting to save. And sometimes that's the hard thing for a lot of families, but it's like, what does it do? Like, what are you going to do with that? So you get to retire earlier Then what do you do? And I think one cool thing, and I think people will pick it up throughout the episode is you really love what you do, right? Like, yes, you have a great job, you enjoy it. And it's fun to you. It's intellectually stimulating. There's things that you get to do. And I think when someone finds that it's great. And so sometimes I feel like this fire movement or the ideas behind it is like, well, maybe you just are in a job or in an industry or in a position that sucks and you just need to go do something different. Right. Versus the work-life balance. It's like, how do you integrate something that you actually enjoy doing? So you can find meaning in doing it because if you're done and not working and doing nothing, are you going to have meaning or are you still then be like, okay, I'm bored. I've done all the fun things I want to do for a while. Like this is sabbatical. Then like, what are you going to go do? Right. (laughs) Uh, And maybe for some people, they just don't want to do anything and that's fine. Like I'm sure there's people out there that could be absolutely satisfied with doing nothing. But I think in general, 
as humans, we want to be connected to other people. We want to be able to make a difference. We want to make an impact. And maybe that is giving your time away for free, volunteering locally. Like, okay, cool. If you want to do fire and do that, great. At least have a reason for why you're doing that other than I just got to get out of this job because maybe it's just like going and doing a different job and that will make you happier. Right. I mean, even with me finding something within my job that even still made me even happier doing the education, I think was amazing. Yeah. And within veterinary medicine, there's a lot of flexibility because you know this as well as I do with your peers. There's a lot of people that aren't happy with where they're at. And sometimes it can be like, is it what I'm doing or is it the employer or the place that I'm at currently in my career? Right. Right. And if it's genuinely that it is the job and it is the career and you're like, I'm just bored with this. Okay. What else can you do with the skill set and education? All right. Is it industry? Is it doing something completely different? Great. You have a skill set. You have a lot of knowledge. You can go do a lot of other stuff. It doesn't mean like, hey, you have a DVM, so you can't go start a small business. Like you could go do that if you wanted to. Yeah. You, don't, you can do whatever you want. It's all back to what do you enjoy doing and what do you want you know, life to look like? So, Yeah, for sure. For those that want to connect with you or find the podcast, I think we need to plug the podcast oh, here yeah. at the end too, because we didn't necessarily give names <laughs> or titles. Yeah, is, the, so is the internal one public as well, or is that private? Or how do you push that out? I guess I should ask that question. So the public one is public. That's it doesn't have anything to do with my job. It's just like what I do on the side. So that one is Vetsplanation, like an explanation. So vetsplanationpodcast.com. And then my other one for like internally for the technicians, it's not like pretty much like anybody who wanted to technically listen to it could listen to it. Like any of the technicians want to listen to it. It's just not as easy to find. So like if you go on to Spotify or Apple or Google podcasts, you have to type in Shugs. So S-U-G-G-S dash podcast i think no shugs dash sumner s-u-m-n-e-r dash podcast i think after you put shugs dash sumner most of the time it just pops up after that but you do have to like specifically look for it in order to find it because i try to do it for like so that it's not just for all the public it's not just going to be for like the people who are the pet parents like i very specifically want it to be for people who are in the veterinary industry sure that makes total sense and i mean I think just being transparent, like if I listen to it, I'd probably be like, I don't know how much, yeah, I, like, I don't know uh, if I'm going to stay for episode two, Tyler. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but that's interesting. I'll put that in the show notes. So Vetsplanation, right? Vetsplanationpodcast.com. Yep. Shugs. We'll leave that one in the show notes as well. Yep. But for those that want to maybe connect with you, chat on an idea or the podcast or anything else like that, where would you send them? How would you best connect? Is it LinkedIn? Is it other social media? Is it email? I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I'm on Twitter, but I just don't use it as much. Again, like going back to this, trying to learn about all the technology, still having to learn about like social media and stuff as well. But Facebook is really easy to find me or even at my website at explanationpodcast.com like at the end at the bottom it'll say contact us and it has my email on there so it's just shows at explanationpodcast.com and you can email me there i usually check it like once every day or every other day but that's an easy way to get a hold of me perfect well i greatly appreciate the time and and thank you so much for uh, coming on and sharing of course thanks i say i appreciate it All right so there are a lot of great job postings that I want to get to. And so we're going to start off with Bayside Hospital for Animals. Great work-life balance in beautiful Fort Walton Beach, Florida. No weekends, Monday to Friday, eight to five, no on-call or emergencies. It's appointment only here. Currently a two and a half doctor practice, new owner in 2021, bringing some fresh life into the hospital. 
The new owner had been there for six years prior working, so definitely understands the team, the processes, and the community. Lots of investment in people and new equipment. ProSal is the pay structure. Far too many benefits for me to list. Email BaysideVet251 at Yahoo or call 850-864-1857. Join a thriving, growing, small animal practice in Vermont on the Quebec border. Full-time ideal. Part-time is considered. The idea is to start with yes with the team, patients, and clients in outdoor woman's paradise while uh, being able to practice high-quality medicine. Compensation is write your own structure within production capabilities. Literally, it is the owner wants to t- find the right person and is happy to negotiate, chat through, and find the right fit. If you want autonomy and a boss that enjoys teaching, reach out to Newport Veterinary Hospital. You can email newportveterinaryhospital at gmail.com. North Central Indiana, looking for an oasis in the chaos. Who isn't, right? Come join the amazing team at Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. They strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care. They utilize the support staff efficiently so that the doctor is available to practice medicine and do what you're trained to do in less time and paperwork, which is great. Lots of investment in new equipment and technology to support you, full-time or part-time available. Small animal and exotics are both seen there, so no ER, no on-call, no weekends, competitive salary with sign-on bonus offered, and far too many benefits to list. Go to Fulton County Veterinary Clinic, so type that in and you'll find the job posting there. Last but not least, join Watertown Animal Hospital, personable, small animal veterinarian wanted for well-established current five-doctor mixed animal practice in northern New York, which is an outdoors person's paradise. Again, two of those. So if you like the outdoors, you can look at Vermont or New York. They have plenty of support staff with six CSRs, six licensed technicians, four animal caretakers, two technical assistants, hospital associate, or sorry, hospital assistant, a practice manager, and a bookkeeper. Focuses on mentorship and investment on the people and the technology. That's been a strategic initiative by the leadership team. No on call, a 24 hour ER less than an hour away. Salary based on experience, but no less than 95,000. Can be straight salary, pro sal considered. Want to discuss that with the right person. Tons of benefits, again, too much to list. Please reach out to watertownpetcare.com for that option as well. So again, if you find a role or a job or talk to anyone and it helps you in any way, I would love to hear that feedback. So please reach out. Let me know what you're able to do. And I will continue to post these. So if you are an owner, reach out to me, let me know. And we'll go from there. And until I hit a capacity of I can't keep recording these, I want to let people know who are high quality owners around the country looking for great help. So with that, we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. If you want or need financial advice, my day job on not podcasting is helping veterinarians grow their net worth. Our team is taking new clients and we are ready to talk to you at any stage of life. Come as you are. I always say bring the mess, right? Like if things are unorganized, that's okay. There's no prerequisites to become a client. Isaiah Douglas is a partner at Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is a registered investment advisor registered with the SEC. The biggest compliment you can give me in the podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcast is the platform that is predominantly used for people listening to the show. If you have three minutes, love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review. It helps more people find the show. Also, the new YouTube channel is up, and I'd love to have you subscribe. Vainly, I want 100 subscribers at least. Lots more, obviously, right? 
but I get a vanity URL if we get to 100. That would be great. It makes it easier to find the YouTube channel as well. For all of today's links information, head over to the veteran success podcast.com. There you can subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform. It'll be a link to that YouTube channel I just talked about. You won't miss any other episodes, whether you list on Spotify, whether you have some other ancillary podcast platform please like, subscribe, all that stuff. It certainly does help. I appreciate it. Finally, if you want more information, insights, want your voice to be heard, want to share ideas for content, say, hey, Isaiah, I want you to have this guest. I want you to talk about this topic. Go over to the Facebook group. So you can search for the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll to the bottom about your host, click on the Facebook icon, and that'll get you in the group. But thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to me to be able to see the podcast grow and continue to impact people. So with that, until next time, we'll chat soon.